interwebs we are back for another fun-filled exciting episode of the fusion underground how is everybody doing this is actually our 11th episode now we finished up with season one last week but uh we're doing a couple of just freestyling shows while we put together what we're going to be calling our season two and here at the fusion underground what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> current events politics and culture our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined in the virtual studio by my co-host, the one, the only, Jason Moret. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great, brother. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. good. Actually, you got the Redskins hat on. Oh, it's my team. Always. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Nope. They will always be my team. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they rest in peace. I don't care what they call them anywhere else, and, and football is probably going to be dead to me after uh, once it mm -hmm. starts up again this next season, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. And and drinking out of the, the Redskin koozie? Was the it what, koozie? koozie? Yep, yeah, koozie. koozie. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yep. I can't remember what they call those things anymore. Yeah, that's a koozie. So, um, so what do you think about this uh, Redskin fiasco that's happening? Oh, it's, t it's terrible. And, and it – you know, I was actually talking with uh, family about it the other day. It has nothing to do with the Redskins, whether I'm a Redskins fan or not. It has nothing to do with it. Um, this is, I mean, you take it all the way back to our free speech discussion you and I had before, but, I mean, this doesn't end. This doesn't end. And and for whose sake? That's the, the part that really is frustrating to me. You're, the idea, it's been said, supposedly, that the vitriol against the Redskins name has to do with the disrespect to the Native Americans. Well, says who? You know who's the most pissed about the Redskins name going away? The Native Americans. But nobody gives a crap about what they say. They're doing it for their benefit, whether they, know, they believe or want that or not. No, it's, it's for their own good, and we know better than they do. Um, I really would love to see them actually come out and make a case that this is a hate crime. And it's actually, <laughs> I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. You're, you're literally taking away the honor that was bestowed upon them um, at the team's inception and saying, we're going to delete you from history and we're going to delete that team's existence because uh, it, I'm sorry, man. It's that's hateful and it's racially motivated by there's no two ways around it. Um, to me, that's a hate crime. If you want to you play this tit for tat, that's, that's wrong. Well, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Um, oh, sorry. Because, I, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, you just kept you on asked. going and going and going. <laughs> Keep it moving. 
<laughs> so we're, we're going to talk about that because I have something that I, that I put together that I want to read, uh, read for all of our listeners and for you, as a matter of fact, and has a lot to do with this topic. Okay. Um, we got some other stuff on the docket today too. Uh, I, we got some, um, we got some anti-animal language. Sponsored anti-animal by, language. Anti-animal, you know, all lives matter. All lives matter. Yeah, I'm actually waiting for them to rename my street. Why? What's your? Are you, do you live on Black Street or something? Like no, that? I live on Raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now. You think that that street name stays the same for a year? You're out of your mind. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, we've got uh, we've got yeah, we've got more racist stuff in the bag today. I guess I you know we've got the Redskins to talk about. We've got PETA and anti-animal language. Uh, we also have some stuff around how math is racist. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Math, math, math is racist. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh, and oh. we have a little bit of thing about, uh, about white culture. Okay. I, I actually oh. did hear that the symphony is racist. Did you hear that? I heard classical music was racist. Yes. Classical music. Yes. Well, actually, but specifically in, in the performance thereof, it's not the music oh. itself. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, uh, geared towards um, the musicians and who makes up mm. the actual symphony that can that um, performs it. Are there a tremendous number of blacks who play classical music? No, but that's why. because oh. it's racist. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, so even though they choose not to actually play violins or cellos or anything like that, so actually, it was racist it was a- because they can't get in there. It's an interesting story, and and mm-hmm. I didn't know if you wanted to kick it off, but what the heck? Since you sure, why not? Why not? We're we're freestyling right? today. Let's go for it. So, I think it was back in the seventies mm-hmm. when you used to go to audition for um, to play in the symphony. You had to audition before the panel of um, composers, sure. who would judge your ability and say yes, you're accepted, or no, you're not. Well, at the time, or at least during the seventies, um, in the uh, during the feminist movement. Mm-hmm. They actually were were saying that women were being discriminated against and not allowed into the symphony. So a policy came out called blind auditions. So essentially, the musician is in a uh, blinded, sectioned off area. Like behind a curtain or something. Behind a curtain, exactly. And the judges are too. They never get to see the person. Matter of fact, they're given an audition number so that there's no... You can't say, well, this is... um, Audrey so well obviously Audrey's a female and then they could make any bias so um Shaniqua we can't say Shaniqua's on stage gonna perform exactly none of that right that might be too racially correct right it might well any any might sound too racial even though it could be a even though it could be a a white a white woman behind the curtain Mm -hmm. but then that would be cultural appropriation maybe or something yeah you know and then it's so 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 we just call them numbers yep so you are audition number um one five seven five whatever your number is all right like prisoners yeah exactly prisoners okay now on a positive note since the blind audition policy has been in and this has now Mm -hmm. been going on for 30 years Mm -hmm. um or more excuse me now there's actually been an increased number of women who are in who make up a uh a larger percentage of the performing symphony orchestra than previously because so, they get on based on their merits. Correct. And okay. so the argument could be said, hey, that was good for women um, to actually make that. Yeah. And 
I personally like the blind audition um, because you are based or you're um, you're based solely on your performance. You're judged solely on your performance. It has nothing to do with um, anything uh, superficial, anything physical. Um, even <clears throat> your, even the the look of your instrument. If you're playing an old busted up instrument, but you still pr uh, produce a quality sound and it's well done you can still get in. So I, I thought that was actually a great I, idea. I'm, I'm curious, pause right there, because I'm curious for a moment. If somebody, if the curtain comes down and the person playing has a ton of facial piercings and facial tattoos and all of that, would they still be considered based on the skill set or would they be cut go? Because keep in mind, you know, when, when it comes to symphony, they, they essentially want everybody to, uh, to look... To, to disappear up on stage. They, Correct. Right? They, they, they don't want you to really stand out. They still take a very conservative approach with the manner of dress. They don't want anything to, to detract from the music that you're actually playing. I don't think your skin color is going to, but I think if somebody's standing up there with a, a mohawk, you know, three feet tall, pink, with mm -hmm. all kinds of facial piercings and tattoos, I don't think that that's going to fly over very well. Well, what I will say is, is in the symphony orchestra, there's a very strict um, dress and performance attire. Mm -hmm. So all men are required, usually required to wear tuxes. All women are required to wear black dresses. And that does include a, include a length requirement. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I remember you know, tape measure down to yeah. the floor, you know, how many inches above? Nope. You've got to either change or make an adjustment somehow. Um, so yeah, I'm sure if you had um, facial tattoos, they may say makeup. That's the way it goes. Um, if you have piercings, take them out. You got a mohawk, flatten that thing out um, for your performance. And and yes, Fair even as, especially in the um, like Broadway musicals or performance, the orchestra is not meant to be seen ever. That's why there's the why orchestra pit. pit below the stage. The sound is the important part um, to set the mood. So. Um, I, I don't know that any of that would disqualify you after you've made the cut, but mm -hmm. I'm not in a symphony orchestra, a performing symphony orchestra at the moment, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. But mm, okay. so anyway, yeah, getting back. Fast forward now into 2020, there's actually a push to try and eliminate the blind audition process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because. We don't want anyone judging the performer based on their performance level anymore because they, we are so racist by not being able to see the performer. We should be able to take into account the race of the performer to influence their um, acceptance into the symphony orchestra. So it's not about how well a person performs the music or plays their instrument anymore it is about well yeah you might not have sounded so great but you're black or you're hispanic or you're whatever not asian that doesn't count actually um so we want you in the orchestra even though you're not as good as the other people who were who are up here so it was interesting to me to see blind auditions were actually entered in um, as a form of, and I'll use the term correctly, equality, like mm -hmm. we talked about before. 
equal playing field. Nothing matters but the, your ability and your performance level. That was actually embraced by um, the symphony orchestras for you know, at least the last 30 to 40 years. Now we want to get rid of it because we cannot mandate racial segregation into the orchestra with, if you have blind auditions in play. Wait, so if we do blind auditions, are blacks not cutting muster and are getting cut? Correct. Okay, so they're not as skilled. No, 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 no. So what I'm going to say is the... The people getting cut are not as talented and skilled as those that are getting selected. Correct. Now, that's not to say that there are not incredibly talented um, black musicians out there at all because there's quite a few especially in some of the symphony orchestras. but by definition if you don't get selected and nobody can see the color of your skin if you are not getting selected Mm -hmm. you didn't play as well as the others correct that's just bottom line you just correct you it's the same as if you were you ran a race in the olympics and you were not fast enough right you just you were out you were outplayed you were outperformed that's correct so now blacks are being outperformed and so now there's a cry to remove the the curtain so to speak and basically select well that's racist to begin with yes. we're not we're not picking them based on the the ability that they have we're solely based we're solely picking them based on the color of their skin you're correct Okay. And, and, sure and no, 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 we're on the exact same page. All right, all right. Um, and it's, again, we, we've seen this with the um, uh, diversity in the workplace idea. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to pick the person who is best suited to do the job. Right. You have to make sure that you have a equal or as close to equal makeup of racial diversity within the workplace has nothing to do with um, job skills or requirements. If you're going to play in an orchestra, how you perform that's your job skill. That's all there is. But because we cannot give extra points or extra consideration to minority races, if we can't see them behind a curtain, then we need to tear down the curtain so that we can allow for that. And what does that, and, and what are the people that actually get cut because of this? Because they get, this is no different than, uh, you know, a year or two ago, there were those high school kids who were, who were trans athletes. Mm-hmm. who were actually right. biologically male and they claimed to identify as females so that they could run against females in track and field. And the girls were getting crushed. Right, right. They were just getting absolutely demolished. And some of these girls had been training all of their lives. And they, I think one, there was one girl who actually did an interview. Um, she lost a scholarship over this because she was no longer the fat. She was the fastest one until a, until a biological male decided to, to say that he was a girl and the biological male couldn't place in the top 40 uh, against the other, against male the other racers, males, male right. Runners. Right. But comes into the female, the female category and crushes everybody and blows everybody away and uh, took the scholarship away from mm-hmm. these other girls who were, I think much more worthy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's like and this. Go ahead. No, it's, it's, uh, I hate to say it, but this is, this is some of the stuff that, of course, people like you and I sitting on the outside have been saying, well, I'm telling you, the chickens are going to come home to roost with this crap sooner or later. And you guys are going to sure, see sure. how ridiculous this can get. You, 
call me a conspiracy theorist all you want right now, but you just wait. And that's the one of many examples. Well, I have, I have an interesting one here. Uh Oh, and this that scares is a, me just a hair. This is a, this is, this kind of segues nicely into the, into the, um, the story that I have here about how math is racist. Oh, math is racist. Math is racist. So, okay. I'm, I got this, uh, this is from an, this is from an organization. It's really a, they do a lot of, it's a blog, but they do a lot of writing about math and science and this, this sort of thing. And they wrote this article about how college math classes are actually racist. So I'm going to read a little bit from this article here. And it says, college math requirements began to multiply during the 1970s, a period of huge enrollment growth and major demographic change. Though opening up higher education to more people of color might have been democratizing for a democratizing force. In fact, it coincided with the introduction of quality controls like general education requirements. And those led to the proliferation of remedial courses, particularly in math, as professors complained that students newly showing up in their classes were ill-prepared. Math departments grew, but the remedial courses contributed to racial stratification since students of color were most likely to be assigned to them. And they were most likely to attend community colleges. So uh, you can see here that as universities and colleges began to put requirements around, you know, you have to be able to have a certain command of the English language, right? You had to score so high on either an ACT or an SAT, right. and you had to score so high on the math cl- in math. Well, some of these students were coming in, and they didn't have the they didn't have the chops, particularly in math. And so now they didn't have the high school, right? I mean, keep in mind that high school is supposed to set you up for college, right? For that freshman year in college. Theoretically, yes. Theoretically, right? So when you graduate high school at 18 years of age, as a senior in high school, you should have enough math and at least a command of algebra that you can go into college immediately as a freshman at 19 years of age, or just a couple of months later, three months later, whatever, and be able to take college algebra. But what was happening was these kids coming out of high school, particularly black students, were not able to make the muster for Algebra 101, college, college math, college algebra. So they were having to go back and retake remedial math, which essentially was math that they should have learned back in high school. Right. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure we're on the same course. I'm going to continue here. It says at the no, height. Well, well, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Just to make sure I clarify. But the yeah, argument yeah. is that math, the inanimate subject, mm-hmm. is racist, not the high schools that failed to educate students. Right. Okay. Right. Just making sure I'm, I'm, I'm on the same diving board, ready to spring into the water here with you. Go ahead. Yeah. It says here, at the height... At their height, about 10 years ago, remedial courses represented more than half of math enrollments at community colleges nationally. These seemingly benign attempts to help students learn math, in fact, served to prevent millions from progressing toward a college degree. Imagine that. Did it really prevent them or did it just happen to slow them down a bit? There's a difference there, right? Well, yeah. You, You take the remedial math class, you get up to par where you should have been, 
and then you go take college algebra. Right. No, it's, to prevent somebody would be saying you, meaning stop, you can't you attend go. here right. because you didn't make you didn't cut the mustard right. to get here. Right. Not, so, oh, you got to take this extra class so that you're better prepared to actually do that right. because so I failed you. Right. Nobody's preventing anybody from earning a college degree. It just might slow them down a little bit. Maybe you have to take it. You have to stay in class in college an extra semester. I was going to say a semester. One or class. two. Or maybe two, depending on how far back you have to go. Right. I mean, or That's you fair. could, or, or you could make it up. You could, Take an additional class a semester. Maybe work a little bit harder. You could maybe make up for it in a future summer course and take, you know, because you had to take the remedial math, uh, then you next semester you take the college algebra. So in that, in, because you had to take remedial math, maybe you couldn't take a humanities class that particular semester. So make up for it in a future summer session. I mean, there's all these different ways that you can go around it. Yeah. Okay. It says students placed at the lowest levels of remedial math had less than a 10% chance of completing a credit bearing math course and even lower chances of earning a college degree. Of course, it doesn't say why they have lower chances of earning a college degree. It just makes the statement that they have lower chances. Even students with weak preparation were more likely to complete a required math course if they were actually permitted to enroll in one rather than a gauntlet of remedial offerings and given support. So again, we have to, we have to feel bad. Who, what do I have to, what am I supposed to feel bad about here? Am I supposed to feel bad because some kids are not capable of doing college algebra? Or am I supposed to feel bad because their high school teachers did them a disservice? Now that is exactly what I was going to get ready to say. I actually do feel bad. I don't feel bad that they had to take a remedial math class uh, in college. What I feel bad about is the fact that they went to a high school that did not force them in one way or another to learn the material they needed to be successful in college. That's, that's the job of the high school. Right. <clears throat> so let me go on here. It says intended or not math requirements had become a de facto filter that could determine students ability to succeed in college. Oh, really? Or even to get in. It's little wonder that Bob Moses and his disciples refer to algebra as a civil rights issue. Recently, as I watched 13th, I being the author here, the timing struck me. The growth of law and order, the growth of law and order politics came on the heels of civil rights legislation in the 1960s as mass incarceration began to keep black people out of voting booths. This coincided with the establishment of math requirements and remedial courses limiting access to college degrees. While there's no question that remedial mathematics is a better fate than imprisonment, the two operate in parallel ways. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Both hold people in limbo states that may be temporary, but can have lifelong effects. May be temporary. Absolutely, it's temporary. Take the class, learn the math, and move on. <laughs> what lifelong effects are we talking about here? You know, okay, okay. All right, all right. I'm going to try and give some credence. I'm going to do my best. So, and you know how I like to try and do my best to do some of this. So, so let's, let's take a leap of faith for a second. I suppose if I were a young man, again, I'm going to take myself back in history just a little bit. If I were coming out of high school and I was going into college, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about starting my future, and 
testing into those classes. I did not get accepted into the college algebra level class, and I had to take remedial math. That could feel discouraging to my person. That may make me feel bad. And I'm, I, I could see how that could make me my, hurt my little feelings. But I know if I, was, if I was living at home, my mom would kick me square in the butt, said, well, then you do your math and get over it so that you can get the college degree that you want. If, yeah. if not, and I was on my own, I'd like to hope that she raised me well enough that I would do that to myself and say, okay, well then fine. If this is the predicament I'm in, I'm going to take the class, show them that I'm not a big dum-dum, and then get on with earning my degree. Um, I don't consider that prison. At least right. I well, don't. yeah, I don't either. I don't either. But, but they actually are trying to, to draw a parallel between prison and taking a math class. They even go on here in the article, even after imprisonment, I guess by imprisonment being you're taking a remedial math course, individuals can lose employment opportunities and their right to vote. And the more remedial courses a student is sentenced to, the less likely he or she is to ever earn a college degree or a decent livelihood. We're talking about one, maybe two remedial courses. We're not talking about spending the next 10 years in remedial classes. So yes, they may, the less likely he or she is to ever earn a college degree or a decent livelihood. Are you kidding me? Some of these, I mean, there are some people who are on the five, six, seven year plan of college, not because they're in remedial classes, but because they can only go to school part-time. They can only take one, maybe two classes sure. at, a, at a time. Sure. So what difference does it matter? What they're working for, what they, what they're, I mean, these students, while they may be taking remedial algebra so that they can get a degree, so they can eventually pass college algebra, they're still working toward a degree. And what if these students want to become an engineer? What if they want to yeah. do something in the sciences where, where college algebra is the least of their worries? They're going to have oh, all yeah. kinds of do, math classes. Um, calculus and trigonometry and things like that. I mean, oh, yeah. well, and just the math alone that they're going to have to learn beyond that college algebra is, is nothing right what's, the physics behind it and the, the chemistry all of which is mm -hmm. algebra based all of which is a ton of, is a ton of math so if so, so what we should create college degrees that blacks go after that have nothing to do with the sciences and well and i'm i'm trying to really wrap my head around an idea so she's this this author is saying that if you take a remedial class you're less likely to earn a degree so obviously she's pulling from some um, statistical database uh, for pulling this out. So I'm trying to create a profile of a young student in my head. Not a racial one, but I'm just going to call it an academic profile for someone who's not, who, who doesn't have the um, high school level basic math skills to get into college algebra. So I have to believe then that it's highly possible that they might have also other deficits in other subjects where somebody coming into college may have to repeat um, not just remedial math, but remedial English, um, writing, uh, reading, you know, all of those, those basic courses that you're going to have to repeat. I could see how that, that could be discouraging. 
And I'm wondering if actually, I'd be curious to see if there's a psychological profile for this type of student where maybe they get, they do get discouraged to where after taking these courses again and whether they pass or fail, I don't know. Um, that'd be another interesting breakdown of those statistics for the author if she wants to dive into that a little bit more deeply. But um, yeah, so maybe this does have to do a little bit more with those, uh, those feel goods or the not so feel goods um, for these young students coming out. I, don't, I still don't understand the racial implication, however. This sounds to me like an undereducation um, discussion. Has, has, I don't know how that has anything to do with race, at least not yet. I'm going to play something for you That's because I think this is, I think this is quite interesting, okay. right? This is, uh, for those that cannot, that are not watching on video, there's a, a classroom setting. We can see some, some blackboards in the background. There's a podium in the back, but right in front of this podium are a couple of tables set up and there looks to be a panel. And what you can't see uh, earlier in the video, which is a little bit zoomed out, you can see that there are other students sitting in front of this panel. And there's about, what, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So there are seven other people seated at this panel. Now they all look about college age to me. So this is a, who knows, this is some kind of club or something like this. But this is the type of thing that, that is happening with regard to math and sciences. And I'm just gonna play just a, just a minute of this here. Um, it's, it's a little bit different, difficult to understand what this, what this woman is, is talking about, mainly because it's kind of echoey. There's not a, there's not good sound capture quality in this, but maybe you'll get the gist and we'll, we'll talk through it a little bit here. But Western modernity is the direct antagonistic factor to decolonization because Western knowledge is totalizing. It is saying that it was Newton and only Newton who knew or saw an apple falling and then out of nowhere decided that gravity existed and created a, an equation and that is it. For the whether people knew Newton or not or whether whatever happens in Western Africa, Northern Africa, the thing is, the only way to explain gravity is through Newton, who sat under a tree and saw an apple fall. So Western modernity is the problem that decolonization directly deals with, to say that we are going to decolonize by having knowledge that is produced by us, that speaks to us, and that is able to accommodate knowledge from our perspective. Okay, so what she's saying there, for if you haven't captured that, what she's saying there is Newton who happened to be sitting under a tree, watched an apple fall, and then came up with gravity, and then created an equation, and, and that's just something that we have to accept, even though there are people of color who come from all sorts of different places of the earth, from different cultures and different societies and different backgrounds that were all different than Newton, that we shouldn't just accept Newton's you know, the Newtonian physics, we shouldn't just accept that. What we should do, according to this woman, is we should go to the, the cultures, like her culture, the culture of people of color, and that we should then look for a way to describe gravity or other principles or laws within, within science. And we should come up with ideas that best fit their cultural views. This is, this is absolute, not only is this ludicrous to the extreme, it's dangerous too. 
because I hope none of these people are training to become an engineer. I hope none of them are have any desire to be, you know, to build buildings, to build skyscrapers or bridges because they'll likely collapse because they have no concept of what they're actually talking about. You don't just create an equation out of thin air. Mm -hmm. That's not how any of this works, right? Newton didn't invent gravity. No. He defined it. He described it, and he described it through math. This isn't something that you can just say, well, we can't accept Newton because he wasn't a black man. He didn't come from Africa. He didn't come from Southeast Asia or whatever. This is absolute ludicrous. And the fact that this gets entered, that this gets a, just a modicum of entertainment from people in today's society, this is absolutely mind-boggling to me. It's absolutely <laughs> mind-boggling. If, if, Newton had been for, if Newton had been a black man from the Congo and watched, <laughs> watched a banana or some other equivalent fruit fall out of a tree and came up with gravity, it wouldn't mean he was wrong because he happened to come from the Congo and was black. No. It just meant that he was a black man who discovered and was able to describe gravity. Uh -huh. this, is, this is absolutely ridiculous. Science and <laughs> mathematics is not racist no it's really not now okay um i <laughs> i love seeing you get all of our oh just my god giggle. i i okay i i can i can go just about as far as saying do i think we need to look for ways to help explain the principles culturally so that they make sense okay to a point so I'll go this far. Hold on. I know. This is, this is, if you're going to say two plus two equals four. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, if you've got a young student, and I'm going to break this, to, this is across the board. If I have a young student or my, my kids, you know what, I'll just take it into my house. That way nobody else out there gets all worked up. If my daughter can't get two plus two equals four, I just can't get her to wrap her head around that. Maybe that's not where her brain's at right now. But I can teach her that one plus one plus one plus one equals four. Mm. Okay, that's, that's a start. Fine. Then we can start grouping two ones together and two ones together. Now we can get to two plus two equals four. And we can develop that. There's not a problem in, ex there's no issue. I don't have to take issue with explaining an equation different ways or even solving for an equation of course different not. ways. You know, um, my wife in algebra, she loved the quadratic equation, you know, because there you, you just plug it in, you plug the numbers in, you always get the right answer no matter what. It might take you nine hours to go through all the math, but you get the right answer. Me, I didn't like doing that. I like to factor out because I could do half of it in my head, figure out the other half, and I had it in two minutes. I mean, it just, it was quick. There were two different modes or modalities of getting to the right place but it was still using math and i wasn't changing the laws um and i wasn't changing how actual math works um it's just doing it a different way so i can go that far but you're not gonna change you know e equals mc squared and you're not gonna change pi 
based on where you are on the planet. And you're not going to change the law of gravity. If they figure that out and they have a different understanding where all of a sudden they can levitate off the Earth's surface, maybe somebody's got some really cool under cultural understanding somewhere else and we need to go figure that out. That'd be cool. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think math or gravity takes the color of your skin into account. No. And, and, and I agree with you. You know, I used to do a lot of tutoring before, years before. And I tutored in math. I tutored in algebra. And, you know, there are concepts that are difficult for some students to grasp. Any student. It doesn't matter whether they're black or white or Asian or whatever. There are, I mean, I struggled with certain math until I was able to get it. But there, there were ways that I would teach that, where I would teach math to other students. I would, I would, find, a, I would find something that the student was interested in. For example, I, I remember a time where I was tutoring a student who was a basketball player and he was having, he, he came to me, he needed help with his algebra. He needed help because he had to get a good grade so he can continue playing. And I, what I did was I, I taught him algebra using the sport of basketball as my examples for him. And when I did that, he got it, he understood it. And he was able to work the problems and do the homework and pass the tests and he was, you know, he just needed somebody to put it in a context that he could, he could relate to, that he could, he could see something that was meaningful to him and say, oh, I see what you're getting now. I see what you're saying. Rather than these kind of abstract, the, you know, the abstraction that algebra tends to exist in, right? So once he, once he was able to see it under something that he understood outside of algebra, he was able to understand that. And he said, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. And then he was, he was off and running. I have no problem with teachers doing that with students, interacting, whether they choose video games or they choose you know, basketball or football or hockey or curling or any of those things. You get this student, that's, that's called being a good teacher, right? right? But right. you don't change Newtonian <laughs> physics because you don't like that it was a white guy who described it. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, and I disagree with you on one point. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Are we going to fight? Oh, let's fight. Come on, bring it. No, I don't, don't want to fight, but I am going to disagree on one point. Okay. What was that? I, 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 you said that you, it, it frustrates you that there's any entertainment given to this stuff. Uh -huh. I disagree. I'm getting a whole bunch <laughs> of entertainment out of watching these people spin their freaking heads around like Look like idiots? No, they look like the girl from The Exorcist. I'm waiting for them to vomit pea soup. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you people? Right. You guys what? are the same group that came up with Common Core. Look where oh that got God. us. There you go. It's the oh last group that tried to change math. Right. It's, it's just insane. It's just insane. <laughs> well, okay, let's get off of math for a little bit here. because no, I, I have stuff. one more fun thing for uh, math. Okay, go for it. I'm not going to let it go. You've seen The Incredibles too. I know yes. you did. Remember, he's like, they can't change math. What are they doing? You don't change. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be you and me later. I'm going to be trying to do that, teach my kids math. I'm like, they don't change math. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> math is math. Math is math. <laughs> math is math. You don't change math. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, okay. Because our timeline is not stupid enough, you know, oh, I didn't okay. even, 
<laughs> well, you know, and you think this is crazy. There was a guy who, uh, and I don't remember the, the actual story, but it was a couple of weeks ago. It happened a couple of weeks ago. There's this guy on YouTube. He's a YouTube streamer. He, he talks, you know, he runs a podcast like we do here, but he talks about chess. Okay. Like I didn't know the, chess. the game chess. He talks about chess. Like he, Bobby Fisher style chess. Yes. Yeah. I and didn't he, know there was that he, much to talk about. I, I didn't either. But he deconstructs chess matches, for example, and talks about the strategies that were involved and the types of, I guess somebody, he's like ESPN, but for chess, more power to him. He actually Sweet. got, he actually had one of his videos was kicked off, was pulled by YouTube um, because chess is racist. <laughs> And it had to do it's with white the, versus black. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> he was. <laughs> what are we doing? I know. What are, what is actually happening? This is ridiculous. This is absolutely craziness. This is absolutely crazy. You cannot the, look, the guy was trying, the guy was deconstructing a chess game for crying out loud. I think he said something very innocuous, like, white shirted dominate black in that move or you know he was talking about the chess pieces and and youtube flagged it and they yanked his video over the whole thing oh my gosh yeah. well you know what white does go first in chess i, I guess that we're gonna have to change that game too yeah so well in in you know we're getting even more more stupid as we go on, the NBA announced a, a couple of weeks ago, they announced that um, they are going to allow, uh, they are going to allow NBA players to put black, um, or I should say, not necessarily black, but they sh they're going to, they're allowing them to put social justice statements on the back of players' jerseys. Do you remember? Do you remember the XFL many years ago? Not this last season, that just happened and died. I mean, poor XFL. They started back up after a hiatus of, of being down and out for a number of years. They started up this year, 2020, They started back up, and because of COVID, um, you know, they started right after the uh, the Super Bowl, and you know, in March, and they lasted a couple of weeks and they folded. But I, I don't know if you remember when the XFL first started the players could put anything they wanted on the back of their jerseys instead of their names. There was one player who was quite known for it. I have no idea what his actual name was, but the, the phrase that he had on his back on the top of his back was he hate me. And he was, he was forever known as he hate me. I, I and, <laughs> you don't remember this? No. Was the XFL started? Was that the one started by like the WWE or? Yeah. 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 Oh, McMahon. okay. Yeah, oh, when okay. McMahon started it. All right. You did ever watch that? No. <laughs> I might now. It's dead now. Well, no, don't do that. <laughs> they killed it. My uh, point wasn't the fact that the XFL is whether alive or dead. The fact was the point that I was trying to make was the XFL allowed players to put whatever they wanted on the back of their jerseys. He Hate Me was one of them. But now they're the NBA, switching to the NBA, they're allowing players to put social justice phrases on their back things like the list of the messages approved for the back of jerseys is as follows per espn's mark spears they can have 
Black Lives Matter, say their names, vote, I can't breathe, justice, peace, equality, freedom, enough, power to the people, justice now, say her name. I don't know that one. <laughs> that is so not appropriate. <laughs> what, say I'm my not name. Sure. Right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm right. I'm not okay. sure. I'm not familiar with that one. To say yeah. her name. Okay. Uh, si se puede. But these these are. I'm sorry. You have more. Oh yeah, I have more. Si se puede, which means yes, we can. Liberation. See us. Hear us. Respect us. Love us. Listen. Listen to us. Stand up. Ally. Anti-racist. I am a man. Speak up. How many more? Group economics, education reform, and mentor. Might as well just put like, you know, comrade on the back of your jersey. <laughs> Seriously. Social, ec social economics? Group economics. Oh, group economics. So group socialism. Economics. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I find it interesting that that instead of saying you can put whatever you want, it's a list of things that are approved. Oh, sure. Oh, okay. So it's say whatever you want as long as I feel it fits within the narrative that I want out there on the court. Sure, of course. Hmm. Interesting. No, no. Funny how that works, huh? I Amazing. think I'd, I'd love to, to take a line from uh, Joe Rogan and go, Bitch, what? Right. Put that on the back of your jersey. How about shut up? Play the game. Play it from your heart. <laughs> and I will show you the quad. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of sayings, speaking of sayings, PETA has released uh, a series of approved phrases when referring to animals. <clears throat> Who gives a crap what PETA says? I'm sorry. Not, Very was... few people do, actually. I, you know, continue. But but they but they still they still raise their they still. I think PETA feels a little left out right now. I don't doubt that. I mean, you know, you know poor PETA. I mean, there was right. There was a time during the '80s. You know, they were they were very vocal. They were against fur and leather. Well, fur was in, in the eighties, everybody right, was right. wearing fur. So they had to keep uh, uh, buckets of pig's blood around or, or no, had to be human. Was it human blood? Oh wait, no, they can't do that. Had to be pig. Well, Ooh, let's, let's yeah. just not talk about that. Right. So PETA has been, uh, I think they've been feeling a little, um, you know, forgotten lately. So in their, in their dire attempt for society to remember who they are, you know, these are the same people that, you know, a, a, a PETA office was actually caught euthanizing animals and throwing them into dumpster bins. PETA. PETA. The people for the ethical treatment of animals. Yeah. They were oh. murdering animals. 
murdering strays and dumping them into uh not all of PETA. It was like one, it was like one or two offices. And this was years, it was like 10 years ago. But anyway, they came out with PETA has come out with a list um of anti, you know, to to encourage us to stop using anti-animal language. So we don't hurt their feelings, the animals. Sure. Okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm all ears. Um, okay. So, you know, instead <laughs> of instead of saying kill two birds with one stone, you should actually say feed two birds with one scone. <laughs> I really wish I wrote this. <laughs> I, I have, Do they understand the meaning of that <laughs> phrase at all? Uh, uh, oh. Dude, that's not the point. The point, that's not the point. No, no. You can't okay. say kill, kill birds. Okay. Right. No, no, no. Okay. 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 Instead of saying, <clears throat> be the guinea pig, which is that a, is that a, is that a phrase? Yeah. Be the guinea pig. I mean, I understand well, like being a guinea pig or like I don't want to be a guinea pig. Don't be the guinea pig or we're going to use this as a guinea pig. And right, right. So I think they're trying to lump all of that idea in together. But okay. I, I think they're creating a phrase here. Be the guinea pig. Like, be the ball. Be the. <laughs> no, that's not what you mean. Be the ball. Sorry. Be no the guinea pig. guinea pigs. Okay. Right, right, right. So be the guinea pig. Instead of saying that, you should say... <laughs> <laughs> you should Come say on, you're leaving me hanging here be the test tube <laughs> oh man be the gross. test tube this just sounds gross <laughs> like a test tube baby yeah that's what I was gonna thinking oh, we're gonna man. grow you inside of a Jason wait uh -huh. or not a yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> instead of right. saying, instead of saying beat a dead horse, you should say feed a fed horse. Make it fat. Fat horse. That's insensitive to uh, uh, a country obese riddled people. by obesity. Right. I, I, I don't, I find that very offensive. Right. I think, they need, very to, offensive I think they need to go, but yeah, they need to go back to the drawing board with that mm -hmm. one. That's, that's not. Instead I'm offended of, by that. Instead of bring home the bacon, you don't want to say bring home the bacon. What you should say instead is bring home the bagels. The bagels? Yeah. Yes. The bagels. So I actually heard bagels are um, racist or anti-Semitic. Excuse me. How are bagels anti-Semitic? Bagels are Jewish donuts. I'm not kidding. I've <laughs> apparently that's that's true. If you that that only Jewish people like bagels and they have bagels all the time, and those are Jewish donuts. And to make any reference to bagels is anti-Semitic. Anybody not on video? We have <laughs> lost Lucy. He's falling out of his chair. He's laughing too hard. 
heard you said Jewish donuts. What the hell is wrong with you? No, I'm not making this up. Wait, only Jews eat don't or eat uh, bagels. This is not. Do you really think that I can make something like that up? Yes. I like a bagel with cream cheese. What's. <laughs> Holy yep. crap. I tell you what, make a note, write that down, do your own research, come <laughs> back on our next summer series and apologize. Jewish donuts. You are going to be terribly surprised that I'm right. Oh my gosh. That is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> this is just absolutely terrible. Okay. So I disagree with bringing home the bagels. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I got one more here. Okay, go. <laughs> Instead of saying, take the bulls by the horns, you should say, take the flower by the thorns. That's what you should say. That's terrible. It, isn't it? No, that's, 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 that's terrible. And that doesn't, that doesn't work. Like, at all. No, okay. it doesn't work at all. Okay, so. You lost me at bagels. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, well, here, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play something for you. Oh Take a breather. Yeah, right? So <laughs> I saw this earlier. I probably should, maybe I should have played it earlier. Uh, it's a little bit of a palate cleanser, but definitely after that we could use uh, we could use we could one. use we could use it to get back on track. Yeah. So, are you familiar with TikTok at all? I'm not. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So uh, TikTok, you know, it's uh, it's basically a new form of social media. People can put little videos on there and share them, and they go viral. Um, and this woman here, she created this little video and I saw it and I got kind of a kick out of it. So here it is. Are you tired of people complaining about literally everything every day? Yeah. Do you find yourself overly annoyed by the actions of others? Oh, very much so. Do you mean fuck them all? <laughs> when prescribed by your doctor, fuck them all can significantly reduce your ability to give a fuck. Tired of Karens not minding their business? People complaining about masks got you down? Fuck them all. <laughs> fuck them all has been tested and proven to help you not give a fuck. I used to give a fuck, but now that I've tried fuck them all, I don't give a fuck at all. If you continue to give a fuck after taking fuck em all, please consult with your physician. Side effects may include insensitivity, lack of care, and an extreme case of mind your damn business. <laughs> yep, I like it. Yeah, that's how I feel about after reading and looking at all of this kind of craziness that's on the internet of people just complaining about mathematics and science and... <clears throat> You know, and I, I, I think a lot of people are at that stage where they're just like, you know what? I'm just so done. I'm tired of all of it. I don't care. 
you want to complain about this? Fine, go complain about it. But stop taking up space on my TV and my, you know, radio and everything else. And just, just go, go back under your your rock and and complain to whoever you want, um, as long as I don't have to hear it. So I get it. Yeah, um, I wanted to play this other thing for you, but before I do, I wanted to show you. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know if everybody remembers who this individual is. This is Kamala Harris. <clears throat> and just a few pictures. Uh -huh. Bless her heart. That, um, you know, that I, I'm showing because the reason why I'm showing these pictures is because, you know, I don't agree with her politics at all. <clears throat> but, um, you know, she was a candidate for president for the Democratic ticket. Um, and, you know, she's not an ugly woman. She's a successful lawyer. Well, definitely know. not in comparison to current Democratic leaders. Um, I will agree with that. Yeah, I mean, here's some other photos of her. Mm -hmm. Right, she looks fine. Yeah. Right. Would you agree that she looks? Yeah. She, you know, there's nothing wrong with her. Well, something something happened to Kamala Harris, and. Um, I really don't know what happened to her face. Um, check this out. I, I don't. I don't think I have any um, any sound here. But just look at her face. See her face. She's over here on the right hand side. Mm -hmm. um, what, look at what what is happening with her face. He was a living saint, um, and now he will be obviously among our most honored ancestors. You know, I would um, sit and talk with John, and her face looks just tight, like the whole like. She looks uncomfortable. She doesn't. She she looks yeah. really uncomfortable. Like, what happened to her face? Like, I don't know. Did she get a bunch of Botox? It's like. It's no, it, it, it's <sighs> okay. If you just look at the pictures that you showed previously, and uh -huh. you, I mean, yes, she, she's a, a fairly attractive female, uh -huh. um, um, with what I would consider classically attractive female features. Sure, yeah. The video you just showed, it, it she looks genuinely uncomfortable. I mean, it really she does. does. Her face is <clears throat> pulled back and tight. Um, um, you know, it, it reminds me of a guy. Do you ever see that movie Holy Man with Eddie Murphy? <laughs> yeah. Way a long yeah. time ago where he's got uh -huh. like the little zapper and it zaps this lady's face all into <laughs> a, a contorted state. It looks like somebody's sitting there doing that. It, it's zapping her. Yeah. Legitimately. Un she's legitimately uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know what <laughs> happened to her face there, but uh, hopefully she gets some help. Um, she's okay. <clears throat> Yeah, maybe she's just not feeling well, and and she had to go in there, and and they just told her just keep smiling no matter what, smile through everything. But it, so it looks this... it looks pained, like her smiling yeah. just just looks. I don't know. Just... It looks like somebody's standing on her foot, and she's not able to yeah. move. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, I have this. Uh, I have this thing that I would like to read now. It has to do with your beloved Redskins. Why? 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 What do you mean, why? You know why. Yeah, well, I told you we were going to talk about this. I know. I told you I didn't want to talk about it. It hurts my heart. Well, I don't care. I know. Yeah. 
So that's why, that's why we should talk about it because it's good stuff right there. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. So the reason why I, I put this together is because, um, you know, when the, when the Redskins announced that they were, they were changing their name, uh, there were a lot of people, there were some people that, uh, that celebrated the, the name change, or at least celebrated the act of them ditching the Redskins. Of course, there was some funny ones saying that they were actually going to change their name to the DC Redskins, and I thought that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> you know, there were a lot of people that said, well, good, they should change their name, because the Redskins, the word, the Reds, the word Redskins is rooted in racism. It's rooted in bigotry. Even Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, came out and he said that the name was rooted in bigotry. Well, what the heck does that guy know? Right. Sorry. Well, well, I wanted to know, is this really a thing? So I wanted to, okay. I, I wanted to find out, is this name really rooted in bigotry? So here's what I came up with. And I wrote all this down. So I'm just going to read this. And uh, just give me a moment while I read through this. I think, the, I think the, our listeners will find it kind of interesting. Um, I haven't had a chance to proofread this or anything. So uh, I hope it sounds okay. <laughs> it reads okay. It's been a few days. <clears throat> but here we go. So the term redskin was a reference to the Beothuk tribe of present-day Newfoundland, Canada. The Beothuk painted their bodies with red ochre. White settlers in the region referred to the Beothuk as red men because of the red paint on their bodies. Historical records show that Native Americans described themselves using redskin as a way to differentiate between them and white settlers. Native Americans <clears throat> continued to describe themselves as redskins throughout the 1800s when negotiating with the French and the Americans. The term gained greater acceptance in white society in 1823. James Fenimore Cooper used the word redskin in his 1823 novel, The Pioneers. There's a scene in the book where an Indian character is dying and says, there will soon be no redskin in the country. It wasn't until the 1850s that sports team owners began to use Indian words and Indian iconography for their teams. Native American iconography was chosen as a way to connect a team to the history and, quote, Americanness of the country. And if you're a team owner, why wouldn't you want to do that? The purpose of any team owner is to develop a fan base and to develop a product that people can attach themselves to. There were negative references to Indians in media. For example, author L. Frank Baum of The Wizard of Oz wrote two editorials about the death of Sitting Bull and the massacre at Wounded Knee. In 1890, Baum wrote, quote, with his fall, the nobility of the redskin, <clears throat> excuse me, the nobility of the redskin is extinguished and what few are left are a pack of whining curs who lick the hand that smites them, An end quote. While Baum appears to be racist against Indians, his use of the term redskin was not used in a negative way. In 1915, poet Earl Emmons released a book of poetry called Redskin Rhymes, a book that is apparently quite racist against Native Americans. However, even with these two examples, Americans did not use the term redskin as a racial slur against Native Americans. In the early 1910s, movies were, were a growing popularity in America. In 1929, the hit film Redskin was released. The film centers on a Navajo Indian who is constantly harassed because of his race. The film is quite sympathetic to the character and Native Americans in general. 
And once again, Americans were not using the word redskin as a racial slur. The Washington Redskins were not always called the Redskins. In fact, they were called the Boston Braves before moving to Washington, D.C. The owner at the time, George Preston Marshall, changed the team's name in 1933 to the Redskins in honor of the team's coach, William Lone Star Dietz, who was Native American. There does appear to be some cringy things Marshall did, like the original fight song and requiring Dietz to wear a headdress on the sidelines. But so far, the name Redskins is not rooted in bigotry, according to historical account. In fact, there is little evidence Redskin was a racial slur before 1980. Jay Gordon Hilton, a law professor at Marquette Law University, wrote, quote, Traditionally, the word redskin was viewed as a synonym for Indian or Native American and did not carry the sort of negative connotations that have long attached to ethnic slurs, end quote. Before the 1970s and 80s, dictionaries didn't define the word as a racial slur, even though dictionaries did define the N-word as a racial slur. Dictionaries were certainly in the habit of describing racial slurs embedded in the consciousness of society, but somehow they missed redskin? <clears throat> or... <clears throat> Excuse me, or is it simply that the term redskin wasn't a racial slur, which is why the dictionaries didn't define it as such? Before the 1970s and 80s, it was pretty clear that the word redskin was simply a synonym for North American Indian. So, how did we get here? Well, in the early 1990s, the political correctness craze started. People began identifying racial groups with the American tag. Blacks were African-Americans, Hispanics were Mexican-Americans or Cuban-Americans, for example. Orientals were Chinese-Americans or Japanese-Americans. With so many India-born India immigrants coming to America, there appeared to be a problem with American Indians. Did that term refer to dot or feather? Enter one Susan Harjo. Ms. Harjo is credited with starting a lot of this political correctness outrage with respect to Native Americans. Except Susan Harjo has apparently not had apparently never met Susan Harjo. Ms. Harjo is not that far removed from hypocrisy herself. Ms. Harjo is Native American, and she used to host a radio show about Native Americans titled Seeing Red. Jeffrey Nunberg, a linguist at the University of California, Berkeley, said the term redskin was a qualified form of a reclaimed epithet. Reclaimed from whom? From when? The way back 1990s? Just how much can be reclaimed when the word was rarely used, if ever, as a racial slur? How can it be reclaimed if it wasn't really an epithet to begin with? Deborah Kroll, a journalist in Arizona and a member of the Zolan Salanan tribe in California, said terms like redskin, quote, make it easier for people to think of us Indians as not really Americans, end quote. It's not clear why Ms. Kroll thinks that. After all, using white or black to describe people doesn't make it easier for people to think of them as not really Americans. Just because one or two people say it's a slur doesn't make it a slur. It should take society saying it's a slur for it to be a racial slur. But society doesn't say it's a slur. In 2006 and again in 2016, nine out of 10 Native Americans did not find the term offensive. Other surveys have asked Americans about the term and more than 70% in all surveys didn't find the term to be negative. <clears throat> if the term redskin describes skin color, then why is it more or less offensive to refer to someone as white or black? Why is it bad to refer to someone as a red or redskin? But it's not bad to refer to women as blondes, brunettes, or redheads. And if an organizational name referring to the color of one's skin is bad, then why does the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People get a pass? The NAACP 
was started by whites, by the way. In Arizona, on the Navajo Indian Reservation, the largest reservation in the United States is a small school called Red Mesa. They are known as the Redskins. The school and fans love the name and their team. Fans wear war paint. They write signs cheering on the Redskins. And they use sayings like, fear the spear. But one person, Amanda Blackhorse, doesn't like the name. Miss Blackhorse lives near Red Mesa and remains a staunch critic of the Redskin name. She wants it changed, not only for Red Mesa, but also for Washington. The people of Red Mesa think she's just one person making a bunch of noise. Students of Red Mesa do not see the term Redskin to be a racial slur. Besides, as one student noted in an interview, it's always used in the context of sports. Yes, exactly, in sports where you want a name that means you're a tough opponent. It needs to be said that the logo of the Redskins is not some caricature of an Indian. Rather, the logo is a very stoic-looking Native American. The logo itself does not reek of bad taste. And how can we say the name Redskin is rooted in bigotry when history clearly shows that not to be the case? Gordon Hilton, that law, that law professor at Marquette University of Law, wrote, the real issue is not the choice of an offensive team name. The real issue is one regarding the boundaries of the right to appropriate someone else's cultural property. Thus end my rant. I think that was very well done. And I think, unfortunately, as I've seen and as you've seen, it's not going to matter. I know it's not going to because, matter. unfortunately, whether you you're a hundred percent correct in everything you've said thus far, and we have demonstrated as a society that it doesn't matter what the majority <clears throat> says, and it doesn't matter what the the actual Native Americans believe or feel. It matters what the loudest, ignorant jackasses in the room can convince the others they should feel because they know what's best for you. And my issue with the Redskins changing their name has nothing to do with my team or my memories watching them on the TV um, or my family wearing the jerseys or seeing the players throughout the years. While that hurts, that's not my issue. My issue is that this doesn't stop. This does not stop here, and it doesn't stop with sports. There will be a time in the very, very near future where you will be given a list of names which have been deemed appropriate for you to name your children. Because this doesn't end with team mascots. It goes to the streets you live on. It goes to the names of the vehicles that you drive. It goes to anything and everything in your life. And that does include the names to which you can call your own kids. And for whom? You telling me that this is out of respect for the Native Americans? Show them a little bit of respect and ask. But you don't want to. Because you know better than them. Because you're smarter than them? How terribly racist and offensive is that? Well, I, I think the I think the issue here is is uh, not one of racism. 
Now, I think it is for those people who do believe that the term red skin is rooted in bigotry. I, I think that there are plenty of white people in the United States who are saying, okay, well, uh, I'm being told it's a racist term. It's a, bigot, it's a bigoted term. And so, yeah, therefore we should change the name. I think there are a lot of people that, are, that have fallen into that trap. They're erring sure. on the side of, of caution. And, well, and, we're seeing and, that it, everywhere right now. Sure. It, it's, it's, <clears throat> well, I didn't know that, that Aunt Jemima maple syrup was racist. So then, yeah, get rid of it. Right. Even though that the, the entire family of that particular woman has said, don't you dare take away the history that we have rooted in this, the honor that we've had, that my, my great aunt or my great grandmother, who is that person who actually built this company up from nothing, um, that wanted her face on there, that loved that brand because she made it. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to the fact that they have been, felt like their entire, um, that their great grandmother's entire life's work has been for nothing. Um, listen to everybody else saying, well, that she looks like a stereotypical black woman. And so we have to get rid of it. Yeah. <clears throat> and see, I, I think there, I think there are those who want to change it now because they feel like they, they feel like they don't want to be on the wrong side of history, and so they say, well, if other people say it's racist term, then we should change it. I think those one group of people, but I think that the people who have been pushing to change the name Redskins, I think what a lot of this is rooted in, is the fact that. The Washington Redskins organization is a for-profit organization. <clears throat> They're designed to make money. And the reason why I say that is because when contrasted with, well, for example, the Utah Utes, it's University of Utah, right? They're the Utes, named after the Ute tribe up in that region of Utah. They have Native Americans come out onto the field before games. They they do, you know, the 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 drums and the the very typical traditional Native American dances and stuff. They do that before games or at half times, et cetera, right? A lot of people don't realize that their entire mascot is rooted in Native American iconography, including their name, but that's a little bit different. It's not a for-profit school. It's not a for-profit company. It's a state school. So therefore it brings with it a, a more open and welcome identity for everybody in the state. And I think if I think if something like Utah were a private were a private university for profit, I think we might be seeing something a little bit different. Well, but because I, the I, Washington Redskins are for profit, well we have to be against them. Go ahead. So no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I I think the um collegiate institutions are protected <clears throat> right now, right now because they're schools. Um I think uh, I mean, because you've got the Atlanta Braves, you've got the Kansas City Chiefs. That's another um, NFL those are, team. Those are all for-profit or for uh, money-making endeavors. They're money-making organizations. They're not so rooted in like, the, like the university, so they're different, right? The Florida Seminoles, the Utah Utes. We have Native American universities, or at least named after or named for with mascots of Native Americans, but the universities are okay. Why is it that the Atlanta Braves, which people have voiced negative opinions toward in the past, 
you know, we have Atlanta Braves, we had the Kansas City Chiefs, although they're not getting as much fire, but it's only a matter of time. There are already people well, calling for the reuse for us to not use words like chief because that would be considered cultural appropriation. Right. And, and that's what I, I guess where I was going. I, I think the, uh, the, I agree with you that the for-profit companies and, and I'll take the NFL teams as a whole, <clears throat> I think they're going to be all targeted. Um, this is going to trickle down. It's going to keep going. Um, the, the Redskins are first fine. Well, we're the first. And then the Chiefs and the um, um, I the think the Cowboys, the well, Cleveland Indians, stick strict, strictly with the NFL. I I, I think um, the uh, the the Cowboys actually will will uh, see some fire coming up. Yeah, if you want to take it over to baseball, we've got the Indians, we've got the Braves. Um, those are gonna they'll go away. The Texas Rangers are already being yeah. threatened. Because the uh, the Rangers are, are apparently somehow rooted in um, a rounding up of slaves or something of that nature. So white supremacy because of the well, Texas the actual Texas Rangers, the law enforcement group way back when, right? They they were allegedly they allegedly did things related to white supremacy. I have no idea what that means, um, but that's the new narrative. Yeah. So it, it this doesn't stop. Once the professional sports teams are done being affected, however long that takes, um, I don't think colleges are going to be safe forever. I think that'll happen because what we've done now is we've set a precedence that this should happen. Not just can, but should. That is the cultural acceptance. Anybody who thinks differently is um, guilty of wrong think. And so – this is the new norm that will take place and everything that you've known about any, and we'll just stick with sports mascots. It doesn't have to be football. It's everything. They're all going to come crashing down. I actually yeah. do think basketball will be the very last. Why is that? Um, I, I think basketball is, and call this a profiling statement if you want, but it pro, uh, basketball is predominantly black athletes agreed or not well but so is the nfl well stay with me though okay you look at the owners association of the nfl and the, the even the fan base is actually more predominantly white while the players are black yes i agree with you but the nfl and or the nba and look at the the stance they're already taking to try and cushion themselves from that um, I think that's a big part of why they want to allow players to put these ridiculous logos and, and slogans on the backs of their jerseys to try and cushion them from the social justice attacks that everybody else is under and going to be under. So they're, on, they're trying to get on the right side of the argument so that they're just kind of left alone, at least for a while. Well, you know, um, and you might be onto something there. Uh, I have this other thing here that I wanted to share with everybody. I don't know how many people have seen it. I don't know if you've even seen it, but apparently the National Museum of African American History and Culture wants you to be aware and wants all of us to be aware of the negative signs of white culture. <clears throat> so um, you might be wondering, well, what exactly are the negative aspects that define white culture. Remember, this is the definition, according to the National Museum of African American History, 
this is what constitutes, these are things that constitute white culture in the United States. The first one. And I, I was under the impression that as a white male, I wasn't allowed to have a culture. Oh, no, you do. Yours is oh, a racist okay. culture. It's, it's, oh, gosh, I almost forgot. Right, right. So it's a racist culture. It's all okay. right. Embrace it. Okay. Rugged individualism. This is one characteristic of white culture in the United States. The individual is the primary unit. Self-reliance, independence, and autonomy highly valued and rewarded. Individuals assume to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. That defines white culture. That's one. Okay. That, that's one element. Another element, family structure. The nuclear family, father, mother, 2.3 children, is the ideal social unit. Husband is the breadwinner, head of household, wife is homemaker, and subordinate to the husband. Children should, be, should have own rooms, be independent. <laughs> children should have own rooms. Should it's, have their own rooms. You know what this reads like? This reads like, an, this reads like a, a litany or a laundry list of excuses if you don't have these things. Correct. So if you happen to come be raised in a, fa- in a household where you didn't have your own room, maybe you had to share it with a brother or a sister um, or two or three for that matter, then you are, you know, it's like an excuse. It's like, it's okay. You're not part of white culture. That's really what it sounds like. Another, here's another uh, aspect of white culture in the United States. Emphasis on scientific method, objective, rational, linear thinking cause and effect relationships, and quantitative emphasis. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess I I have white culture. Yeah. Uh, Protestant work ethic. Hard work is the key to success. Work before play. White culture. If you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. That's That's an element of white culture. But it goes on. Oh, okay. Religion. I was gonna, okay. Christianity being the norm. That's another aspect of white culture. Status, power, and authority is another. Um, Future orientation, you know, planning for the future, planning for retirement, tomorrow will be better, those kinds of of ideals. That's uh, another form of white culture. Um, Holidays, white culture. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Holidays based on Christian religions. It's a fun oh, okay. white culture. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Christmas, yeah. Easter. Yeah. What, what am I missing? Well, that's about it, really. Major okay. holidays, major ones. Uh, justice. Justice is a fun oh. white culture. Right. Justice doesn't exist in any other culture. but Well, ours. protecting, you know, protection of property and entitlements, that kind of thing, based on. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. What's mine is mine and not yours. Correct. Right. That's Got white it. culture. Okay. okay. Competition. Competition is another form of white culture. This obviously, remember, competition is bad, which is why we have to remove the screen so that we can right. get more classical musicians into symphonies. Equality doesn't mean the same playing field for everybody and reward right. based on merit. Um, right. Got it. Winner, loser dichotomy. Um, right. And the last little bit of here of white culture, communication. The King's English rules, the rules of the English language. This is like, uh, you know, are, are we supposed to, you know, what is like this? Like grammar? What is this telling? Well, yeah, like written tradition. Um, 
you know, the English, the, the English rules, the rules of the English language. So I guess things like uh, broken English, pidgin English, Ebonics, these are things that uh, we're trying, it seems like we're trying to make excuses for the, for this type of speech. Got it. Because speaking well and speaking clearly and having a command of the English language is white culture. So there you have it. Okay. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, I didn't know I had a culture, but now that I do, yeah, I can agree with uh, pretty much all of that. That that sounds like I just got a a lecture from my parents and grandparents about, you know, (laughs) what, what, uh, what they expect of me as a young man. So, well, um, so, you know, we haven't, we didn't get into this one. I didn't mention it at the top of, at the beginning of the show, but I wanted to spend a few minutes just talking a little bit about COVID. Um, okay. I know we've talked about it quite a bit on the show, mm-hmm. uh, but things continue to evolve uh, in our, in our society and around the world about COVID. And in fact, just a few days ago, I learned that a cousin of mine who was uh, in her thirties, um, she died of and apparently what I've been told is she died from COVID. She was in the hospital and she was on a ventilator and she was suffering renal failure and she didn't make it. She, she passed away. She leaves behind a husband and three beautiful children. Um, and you know, when I, when I learned about my cousin passing, um, I was shocked. I'm definitely shocked. You know, she was, She's young, and uh, the fact that somebody so young had succumbed to it. That doesn't make me, that her death, her passing doesn't make me change my viewpoint of COVID. Um, and, and the reason why I say is, is for a number of factors. One, um, I know that she had a lot of underlying health complications. Mm-hmm. Um, she certainly wasn't the healthiest person on the planet. Um, that was pretty widely known. Um, and I, I even struggle with, was it really COVID? And, and, you know, some people might feel like that's kind of, um, shocking that I would say that, but the, the reason why I do is because it's hard to believe any of the data that's coming from anywhere let alone our own, even our own state of in Arizona, it's hard to understand what the actual, what the true picture of COVID looks like and how dangerous it actually is because all of the data is absolute garbage. Yes, it is. And, and actually my, my stepmom, um, I talked to her just the other day and she was, uh, asking, you know, Oh my gosh, are you guys doing okay? How are things going? I hear, um, Arizona is just completely, everybody's kind of hands off and, and Arizona is completely get. And I said, no, no, it's, we're okay. Everything's all right. It's, you know, that do I think that the number of cases here in Arizona is up? Um, this quote unquote second wave that we're having? Yes. Are the hospitalizations up? No, far from it. They're down from the first exposure we had um, three months ago. And, and I'm not going off of the quote unquote data that the CDC is putting out. I'm going off of, I'm in, I work with the hospital all the time. Um, and the, and of the cases that they are seeing, the, those that are requiring hospitalization have gone, have dropped to next to nothing. And the ones that actually do require innovation are non-existent. So 
no, it's, and you know, I just ran into a situation where we had um, two patients who were uh, returned to the hospital for signs and symptoms who were tested again. One of them I know was tested, has been tested five times. I don't believe for a minute that that is being recorded as one case. He's never had it. This patient has never had it, but right, they right. were, they were recorded five times. So you know what that means? Well, we've got five more instances of testing going out there. So that's five more for just one person. And that jacks the numbers up. The, the, the numbers that I am, that I am seeing even on my own little bits of research are not even close to what's actually happening. And then, I mean, you showed that little clip of, of the mayor down there in the Phoenix area going on national television talking about how we're bringing up refrigerated trucks because we're running out of places to store dead bodies. That was never close to right. I mean, it's, we're so, and I say we, the, the media as a whole, and, and I'm going to lump the, the CDC and the, and the WHO right along and with it, are so, so invested in making sure that everybody is scared and paying attention to the news for their only source of information. They don't care whether one bit of that information is verified at all. You were telling me an instance about a, a reporter in Florida. Yeah, there was a reporter in Florida who actually was looking at some of the data and noticed that there were two deaths uh, who were in their 20s. And so in digging a little bit further and asking the hospitals about what actually happened, he was interested, he wanted to know, he or she, I don't remember the person's gender, but the, the, the investigator wanted to know what were the underlying conditions. And what they were told was that, well, the first one didn't have any underlying conditions because the first one died in a motorcycle accident but it was being recorded as a COVID death because apparently if you test positive at any time for COVID and you die from whatever reason, then you are recorded as a COVID death. And this is why I get really angry. This is why I, yep. you know, they, they, people are saying, well, you know, COVID can touch your life. And it certainly has touched, at least this death has certainly touched my family. And what makes me yep. mad is I don't know. I don't know if COVID was actually what caused her to pass away. This was the first instance that I had ever heard of COVID causing renal failure. Um, but but even even if even if it did, even if it was COVID, let's just say for the sake of argument, it was. Then I think anybody out there who might who who is at risk of contracting COVID or who could get COVID then we owe it to those people to have a clear picture of what this disease, what this virus actually does to the human body, how to prevent it and how to stop it once you've contracted it, how to treat it. We need to know that picture. And the data surrounding COVID is absolute garbage. We have no idea. And when you're recording people who die from a motorcycle accident, and saying that it's a COVID patient, you're skewing those numbers, you're causing people to freak out and live in fear, and that affects decision-making. 
that kind of garbage information, that garbage data affects people's decision making. And they're not making the right decisions using the best information. They're just not. And that is what infuriates me more than anything. Because we have yeah, no and, idea and what this is about. I, I don't blame you for being furious. I would if I were you. Um, you've got a family member who's passed away and you have no idea why. And unfortunately, I believe that just lumping everyone who's ever been touched by COVID, whether you have the active disease um, or whether you've had it recovered and have antibodies and are over yeah. it, um, and then Don't you know. die in a motorcycle accident, you're being lumped in as a COVID death. I'm sorry, that is, that's irresponsible at best. And it's completely yes. disrespectful to the surviving family. Absolutely. You, you deserve to know what happened. And you, you don't get that. And, and honestly, it's just lazy medicine at that point because then you're going, well, it's COVID. We don't have to worry about it. We can just chalk it up to another one. Right. And that's complete BS. And that, that, would, that infuriates me as a medical professional, um, let alone as, as, as your friend and knowing that that touched somebody in your life. I mean, there, there was a, there, a, a news that just came out of... Um out of the UK a couple of days ago. So there was a leading statistical expert in the UK who was looking at the COVID data in, in, in England, in the United Kingdom. And he started noticing a, a variety of anomalies in the data. And after digging into it, found out that the UK is reporting, is reporting corona de coronavirus deaths of anybody who tested positive, but later died for any cause. The UK has now come out and admitted that if you test positive in the UK and you die for any reason, that you will be included as a coronavirus death metric. That's insane. Yes. That's absolutely well, insane. I, that means nobody can ever recover I, 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 from this disease, ever. Nobody can recover. No, no. You could survive another 20 years and die of a heart attack and you will wind up being a, a, a COVID a COVID mortality. That's absolutely and, insane. And, and while I, I can at least applaud the UK for admitting it because that's happening right here, right now. Yeah. And we haven't admitted that, but that is the God's right. honest truth. Right. And it's terrible. It's terrible for the families. You know, there was a story that I read just the other day where a doctor's wife was in the emergency room, got admitted into the hospital. And this is a doctor, uh, from what I understand, is an epidemiologist. And his wife was near death. And everybody had written her off as she just has a few hours left to live. She's not going to make it through, maybe, maybe not even the night. But this doctor demanded that all tests be run on her, as many tests as they could. You know, she had... They had just assumed, they had taken the test for COVID, they had tested her for COVID, but it was still too early to get the results back. So they presumed that she had COVID. So they recorded her as a presumed uh, infected COVID patient. It turns out she didn't have COVID. She had Legionnaire's disease. Legionnaire's disease, which affects the respiratory system. Mm -hmm. Most patients that, that get severe Legionnaire's disease end up being put on a respirator. You know what also ha happens with patients suffering from Legionnaire's disease, they suffer renal failure as well. Yep. I don't, maybe my cousin had Legionnaire's disease. I don't know. She, she wasn't tested for it. Right. 
I don't even know if she tested positive for COVID. She could have been a presumed positive case for COVID. I don't know, but I'm going to assume that she was tested positive for that. But this just goes to show that there's so much bias inside our own healthcare system that even our doctors and nurses will just presume, well, you have COVID. That's, all, that, that, that's what it must be right now. And so, so they're, they're using this bias to not even do any other further testing or to treat patients. And it's absolutely right. disgusting. It is disgusting. And, and you know, I had a, a conversation with my, uh, my stepdad just yesterday, actually, um, was wanting to know what, you know, Jason, I don't understand. Um, why are the numbers for this so high? I'm hearing that, that COVID units are at 90% capacity. And I explained one thing just on that, which, which I think everybody needs to hear too. When you go to the hospital, there are three signs and symptoms of COVID-19 that will get you a presumptive positive diagnosis. Now, also keep in mind most hospitals right now, because we are blanket testing everybody in mass numbers, we have two different forms of testing for the active disease. I'm not talking about serology for antibodies, but I'm talking about active COVID disease, COVID-19. You have the uh, what's considered a rapid test, which you get your results back in within 24 hours. They're there. That's why they call it the rapid. And then your send out laboratory testing, which right now here in this region is taking seven to 10 days to return. If you draw that and send the rapid tests in the hospitals up here are out. They don't have any more. They're gone. So everybody is being who is presumed positive and has that test drawn, it takes a week to a week and a half for you to get the results back. That's ridiculous. The, the three symptoms are cough, shortness of breath, and a sore throat. I didn't even say fever. Let me do that one more time so everybody hears me. Cough, shortness of breath, sore throat. If you go into the hospital, to the emergency room, and you have one of those, you are considered presumptive positive for COVID-19. They are to presume you have the virus until your test results come back and they can rule that out. So you get to go into what's called the COVID unit. You are on complete isolation precautions, and you are presumed to have COVID-19. And the hospital, as a requirement, is required to now post that you are another COVID-19 case in the hospital. So up here in our area, our hospital has, here's how many beds we have that are occupied. It's right on their website. Here's how many COVID-19 cases we have, and here's how many we have tests that are pending. And that is the reason why 90% of these COVID units are filled with people who have gone in who showed up with a sore throat, shortness of breath, or a cough. And they're waiting for a whole week in the hospital to get the test result back to say, oh no, you had a sore throat because you know it got cold last night, you left the windows open and your fan on and it dried your throat out. Sorry. You can go home now. Yeah, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. There was a story a couple weeks ago out of Texas, a nurse who was working in an emergency room. <clears throat> she 
she tested, she was testing patients for COVID. And in all of the testing that she was doing, she was getting an exorbitant number of positive test results coming back and things just didn't add up for her. So she submitted a test that she hadn't actually tested on a person yet. She just opened the package, you know, didn't swab anybody's nasal passages or anything like that. Right. And she just put the swab in the little container that it needs to be in and she turned it in. She didn't do anything with the swab. Yep. The test came back positive for COVID. She then Shoot. took, she then took 10 tests, 10 did the exact same thing. Didn't swab anybody with them, put them in their little containers, buttoned them up just nice and, and, and pristine the way she's supposed to sent them off for testing. All 10 came back positive for COVID. We have no idea what is actually happening. We have no idea. See, there's a, there, there is a problem called COVID. There's also a problem called cold. There's also a problem called the flu. There's also a problem called pneumonia. There are problems called cancers. These are all things that can afflict the human body in negative ways. So COVID is a, is a problem. I, I will admit that. Now, depending sure. on who you are, it's either going to be a very severe problem or it's going to be a very minimal problem. But it's a problem nonetheless. And the, and the only way that we can deal with the problem is to define it accurately. And our data is all, over the, is all over the charts and there's no way to actually define and describe this problem. So how are we actually supposed to fight it when we can't actually define the problem? We can't describe it in any meaningful way because the data is absolute garbage. It's it absolute is. garbage. It is. And, and unfortunately, the, there's a couple bits of reality here. It, the SARS-2 COV-19, that's, that's the uh, laboratory testing designation for COVID-19. The SARS viruses are, have been around, and corona viruses have been around for a very, very long, long time. time. The common cold and it's flu, they are types of coronavirus. Um, and if we want to take this to the common cold, here's another cold hard fact. We haven't cured that yet. We're not going to develop an effective um, uh, uh, vaccine for the coronavirus either. I, 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 at least not within the conceivable near future. Yeah, I, I don't um, believe that we will. I hope to be proven wrong on that, but I, I just don't see it happening. No, but um, you do not mask up for the common cold. And right. you know we do have vaccines for the flu. And everyone knows that's not a lifetime vaccine. Why? Because the virus mutates every year. There's a new strand every year, sometimes multiple ones. And just like this, or just like the common flu, who does that have? It has a higher mortality rate than COVID-19. The flu does yeah. for people over 75 years of age with existing comorbidities. They are at extreme high uh, mortality rate for um, the flu. And, and I want to add something to that because you're absolutely right about the flu. But here's the thing, our society, we're very open with the flu. In fact, we encourage people, we encourage members of our own society to go out into public when they have the flu. Think I'm wrong. We have things called, called DayQuil, specifically engineered and, and targeted for people who have cold and flu symptoms 
to take DayQuil. Why? So they can go back to the office. So they can go to work. Just because you take DayQuil doesn't mean you're no longer contagious. It helps to clear you up so that you can operate. But we as a society, we say, take the DayQuil and go back to the office. We treat this openly. Yeah. And, and, and here I'll, I'll add to that just one more time. I mean, you look at the, the, the absolute insanity that's happening with our children's schools right now. <laughs> uh, you talk about a demographic who is, is that little, I mean, almost zero risk of anything happening to them with coronavirus. It's the school aged children. Um, they're, uh, immune systems are 10 times better than any other demographic out there, including mine. And, and the nasal passages where the coronavirus actually resides is one-tenth the size of any normal adult. So even if the, the, the idea is that, well, the kids will get it and they'll spread it to each other, even though they might not um, uh, suffer serious illness and die, they're going to give it to everybody else and we're all going to. No, actually, because they house so very little of the virus, like I said, one-tenth of the amount of spreadable or communicable virus particles in the nasal passages that are going to transmit via droplets to actually go from a, in, or a child to an adult in a measurable quantity is infinitesimal. I mean, they actually would have to literally snot themselves up in a big bubble of snot and you would have to ingest that in order for you to get coronavirus from a kid so to actually keep these kids out of school the only thing you're effectively doing is setting them up for remedial math if they ever get out of high school (laughs) i mean it's that is how stupid this all is and you're actually setting them up so that they will have no chance of creating antibodies to be able to fight it off next year or the year after that. Well, and the studies are proving that correctly. There are many countries who have not shut down their schools, who have reopened their schools. There are, there are countries that have, have had some spikes and not, and, and no spikes and those school and those schools were not the cause of any kind of spikes in those countries. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't just an isolated incident happening at one school where we're looking at data. It's worldwide data. It's, it's right. at least throughout Europe, mm-hmm. uh, Europe and Asia. So we're seeing that, no, the, the, the transmission rate from children to adults is extremely rare. Um, yep. And one of, the, one of the arguments that teachers are using here in Arizona are three, are, are three teachers who over the summer, they ran a virtual course in, in classrooms, in their classrooms. And uh, um, these teachers were teaching kids. At least that's what the teachers keep saying. Well, they were, these teachers were teaching kids. Turned out there were, no, there were no kids in the classroom. It was just these teachers. These three teachers would come in and they would set up and they would do videos and they were social distancing and they were wearing masks. Well, one of the teachers was about 61 years of age and she contracted coronavirus and allegedly died from coronavirus. I say she did die. I say allegedly died from coronavirus because we don't really know what, right. what right. caused it at this point. Um, but she could have gotten it from, if she did get COVID-19, she could have got it from the other two uh, teachers. She could have gotten it from Fry's or Safeway, from the grocery store. Who knows? But teachers are now trying to use this as an excuse here in Arizona to keep the schools from opening. But the vast majority of studies, the vast majority of, act, the vast majority of actual uh, cases um, 
you know, show that the schools are not uh, an outbreak for it. And that transmission from children to adults is extremely rare. Yeah. And actually, if anything, you're making a case that social distancing, virtual classrooms and shutting down the schools has done absolutely nothing. Absolutely if you really nothing. want to actually make that. Yeah. Um, no, there, there are three main ways to actually combat a pandemic when it comes to a medical sense. Um, one is um, isolation precautions, which is that is masking and um, isolating the sick individual. That's called that's making that the sick individual confirmed which wear the mask, wear the gloves, wear the face shield. That's confirmed to actually work. The second is isolation of the sick away from the public. So that's quarantining them at home or in the hospital. You can actually take a sick individual, quarantine them at home where they're not in public, and then wait the disease process out. Or the very last, which has been proven throughout history all over the world to be the very most effective way to combat a pandemic situation like this is called herd immunity. And that is where you get the masses of healthy, strong, middle-aged or young to middle-aged individuals, like let's say you and, my, you and me and all of our demographic to go get it. You contract the, the virus, you build the antibodies for it, so that when that repeats and it's cyclical, which all coronaviruses are cyclical, and when that cycle comes back, we've got a protection system built in and it cannot latch on and, and lay hold to the mass so that the at-risk demographic, and that's your over 75 with comorbidities, they are protected from it because we have built up the defense for them and it cannot latch hold in them. That's the only, that's the third and the most tried and true um, way of beating a pandemic. And that's been tested throughout history and medical science throughout the whole world. Well, good stuff. I think we've uh, agreed. I think we have fed the, fed the fed horse, feed the fed horse. Don't long you enough dare on that do thing. that. No, no. We beat the dead horse. To heck with you, PETA. <laughs> We have beaten the dead horse long enough. I think that's going to do, I think that's going to do it for the rest of the show. Thanks everybody for listening. By the way, uh, I am, we, we've been changing the, our website, fusionunderground.net around. We're still not done. It's a work in progress. It'll always be a work in progress, uh, but we're trying to make it so that if, if nothing else, you can go to our website, you can find the, the, the audio version of the show. You can watch the videos, uh, all of our YouTube videos directly embedded on our website. So it's kind of a nice one-stop shop for everything. So I'm, so we're trying to drive everybody there. Uh, but as always, you can find us on Facebook at, uh, facebook.com slash azfusionunderground. Um, our website, uh, as I mentioned, fusionunderground.net. We're also on YouTube, BitChute. Uh, and you can get just the audio version of the show on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Public Radio, and Stitcher. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at the FU Brothers, uh, or you can feel free, send us an email. Let us know how we're doing. Contact at fusionunderground.net. Wherever you find us, though, we would appreciate it if you uh, give us a thumbs up or like the show. It helps attract more viewers, more listeners to the show. So for Jason Moret, I am Manuel, Mar Manuel Ramirez, and you've been listening, as I mispronounced my own name. That's that cute. Fantastic. <laughs> you've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Peace. Have a good night. <laughs>